it's the first thing I say when I call my attorneys, like, look, I'm not looking over your back and I'm not looking to get a gotcha moment. If something goes wrong in one of our cases, we messed up. It's I'm not going to go back and say, so-and-so didn't do this. They didn't do that. We're going to come to the altar together and we're going to figure out how to move forward because there's not, I just don't see sense in living my life like that where we're constantly being like, well, you didn't do this. You didn't, well, guess what? It didn't get done. So what are we going to do from here to make it the best possible outcome that we can from here? Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I'm joined again by my co-host and colleague, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. We're inching towards spring, except for the, the sweet and snow we had over the weekend. Yeah, you would never know it. It's like 25 degrees out and it, yeah, and it sleet and snowed yesterday. Very rude. <laughs> yes. Like, northeast weather just keeps okay. you guessing. Okay. <laughs> well, today we have on Corey Jeffers, who is um, a claims examiner at Markel, and he mostly deals with construction defect claims, which is your area of expertise. So okay. I wanted to have you join me to, you know, join this discussion with Corey. Um, and he was a practicing attorney for, for some time and then moved over to claims. So I think he has a lot to say about, you know, the change from go, being, you know, in private practice to moving over to claims. Um, and, you know, just a unique perspective on, you know, you know being in his shoes now of when he, you know, he used to be on the other side. So with that, let's bring him in. Good morning, Corey. Thank you for joining us this morning on The Defense of Arrest. How are you? I am well. Happy to be here. I am so happy you're here too. And before we jump in, I need our, our listeners and our, our listeners to know that we're like interrupting you in the middle of a mediation that you kind of just like dropped a bomb in and said like, see you later. I'm going to go film a podcast. I'll be back in an hour. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it was a little bit of a real claims experience there that uh, I was preparing for the mediation over the weekend and uh a coverage issue became very apparent from the file material. So um, I had to, and, uh, you know, I, I had already, I had already warned them that I had something to do for an hour um, during the mediation um, and that I was going to hop off and then hop back in. Um, but yeah, I had to, I had to uh, kind of pull, pull the mediator <laughs> aside, pull the insured's personal counsel aside um, and, and kind of drop a, drop a little bit of a bomb on them about the realities of, of the, uh, of the policy and its limits, uh, during this mediation and today and going forward. Um, and, and yeah, so, so the bomb was dropped and, and it was actually taken surprisingly well. Um, okay. lots of times they are quite frankly. Um, and so, but you know, I just feel like it's better to put those things up front. Um, rather than yeah. kind of hide them, um, because then they just turn into more of an issue. But um, it certainly makes the, gives the mediator an idea of what they're working with for the day. Yeah, um, it gives the insured an idea of what they can expect from their carrier and and from their representative for the day. Um, and it gives them an opportunity to kind of mold that over, deal with that, um, and make any counter moves that they that they need to make. For, for their sake, which is yeah. their, which they're entitled to and which, which they, uh, you know, which they should, if they need to. Yeah. And this wasn't a scenario either. That's something that you like known about forever. You find about it over the weekend. Like it has to be addressed at the mediation clearly. Yeah. No, I mean, you, sometimes you like the mediations to, to go uh, smoother than that, but um, <laughs> a lot of times, you know, they don't, you, you don't, yeah. you don't learn about some things that some things in the policy don't kick in until they kick in. Like yeah. that's just, just, just when they do. Um, and when you become, you know, as soon as you become aware of them, if you bring them up, um, then, you know, everybody can deal with it. Now, you know, I want to bring this back a little bit because, you know, you practiced for, for some time and you've probably were on the attorney side of these mediations for some time. So, you know, one, is it kind of nice to be at, at the other seat to be able to come in and, and, you know, drop the, 
you know, quote unquote bomb versus where you were used to be in the attorney seat and you might've been there and be like, oh shit, like your adjuster come in and <laughs> say this to you. Like it, you must appreciate being on this side maybe a little bit more, but then appreciate, you know, the situation your attorney might be in at, at this time too. Yeah. I mean, there, there are things about both sides, right? I think the thing that, that I would want as counsel is, is how I, is, as how I delivered to the counsel. Like, you know, I pulled them aside first, first before anybody else and said, Hey, look, this is, this is what's going to happen. Um, and I, I know, you know, as, as counsel, especially when you're being hired by an insurance company, you have that tripartite relationship. So you can't really, you can't really comment on that. You can't really take mm-hmm. a position on that, but it's still something that you need to be um, aware of and something that, that kind of impacts your strategy going forward for the day. Um, so, I mean, the, that, that's litigation and that's mm-hmm. claims as well things just come up. Right. And you just got to kind of, you got to kind of transform. You got to turn yeah. in a little bit of an amoeba and kind of, you know, fit into the space where you're at for the day. Um, yes. And, and uh, yeah, I remember that being counsel where you're looking, I think the part being counsel is when you're looking forward to getting something off your desk, <laughs> you're like, we can deal with this today. And then you learn, that might not be so simple and we might not be dealing with this today. And you're like, ah, okay, now you've got to get back in your frame of mind of not being so re- being relaxed about it. And now saying, well, this may be something that's ongoing forward. I need to keep my mind focused on that end goal at the end and make sure that I'm still driving the case and driving um, yeah. my client and, and, into that area where I want this case to be. And so that it's in a good position for what everybody is, is always preparing these cases for. If it has to go to trial, then I want it in the best position as possible. Yeah. And in, I, I would say as the attorney in those shoes, I would just be also happy that it wasn't anything I did or didn't do that caused the, the monkey in the wrench. Right. <laughs> like, then you're like, okay, it's out of, it was something out of my control. I didn't mess anything up. You know, <laughs> that's always a, a better feeling. I yeah, think. That's always puts the, the, <laughs> the hair on the back of your neck stand up, right? You're like, was it me? And you need to find out it wasn't me. Okay. Yeah. Relax. Everything else can be dealt with, right? <laughs> Focus on the solution. That's right. Yes. That's right. <laughs> so let's just take a step back though, too. So, you know, as we just talked to you, like you're, you practice for, for some years, but what was, you know, your path to law school? Were you in a scenario that you like knew you wanted to go to law school? Your parents were lawyers or did, was it just like me? I just went to law school because I was like, shit, I don't know what else I'm going to do. So I needed to do something. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure a lot of us end up like that, right? Like, uh, what are, what else are we gonna do? Oh, I don't like math, so um, <laughs> right? like, like so like like my wife's different. Like she's a chemist, right? So she's like, oh, she's a, she wants to do math. I'm like, I want to run a far away from math as I possibly can. Um, um, I mean, no, my 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 path to to law school. Not I, I grew up in a very very small town in southern New Jersey, known as Woodbine, New Jersey. Um, it, it is it is a super small town. It's got one K through eight elementary school. And there's approximately 250 kids in that school. Um, When I graduated eighth grade, I think we had like 30 some odd students in the eighth grade class. Um, And I'm only aware of two of us who then went on and went to um, actual traditional four-year universities. A bunch of people went to community colleges and things like that. Um, But I'm only aware of two of us who really went off to a a, a full four-year anniversary and when I was a kid I wanted to be a professional baseball player like that's that was my thing that's why I went to college I went to college I played baseball in college um but you know uh, as as we like to point out when we get to college only 1500 people get the uh the wonderful opportunity of being drafted and going on out of the millions who are playing um college baseball so um I, I as I was in college at first I wanted to do business and then I kind of didn't like business so much. So then I ended up switching my major to, uh, to criminal justice. Mm-hmm. And um, I took the criminal justice classes and I had, a, I had a really good time. And one of the classes was taught by um, a professor um, and he was, a, he was a lawyer. He taught, he taught the class in a law school style. Um, and uh, it was a class that I had been avoiding because I'd heard how difficult <laughs> the class was. 
So I was like, oh, I'm going to make sure I take this class in the fall, not in the spring. So I'm not in season. So I can be focused on the class like and actually do it. So I took the class and I ended up getting such a high grade on the on the, the midterm and the final that he had to take my my grade out of the, the curve because nobody else would have gotten a sufficient enough grade. And after that, he pulled me aside and he said, well, have you ever thought about going to law school? No, I haven't. As a matter of fact, I, I have never thought about going to law school. And so he kind of took me under his wing and he said, look, I have this kind of pre-law society, you know, I can get involved and I'll, I'll help you kind of with the, with the law school process. So um, he ended up helping me with my essays and, and things like that, did a little bit more explaining to me. Um, I, I applied and, and got into a bunch of them and eventually got into which was one of my top ranked schools, which was Fordham. Um, and that's kind of how, how I got in, how I got into going to law school. Um, so I've, a few things. One, I applied to Fordham and I think their rejection was in the mail as like my application. Like I was like, did you even read my application? <laughs> it was like a matter of days that I got rejected from Fordham. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what they kept. I feel like I was in the, like the maybe pile because I applied <laughs> like early. But I did not get an answer to like a, maybe a week before the last admitted students day. So I feel like somebody had like read it and was like, yeah, when we come back to this guy still in the back end and see, uh, you know, if we change our mind on him. So, yeah, I, I could understand that it is definitely a competitive school. Yeah. But also, like, I I love hearing the story about your professor, though, because I, I don't know, maybe Melissa, you've heard differently. I don't hear that very much about like, like a professor really put like giving you that much time and really break bringing you under their, their wing. And maybe it happens more than I, I know, but I, this is the first I've heard of it here for, for one, and I never experienced it. So like, good for that professor. Like, I, I, I hope you like still keep in touch with him or her and they're like, you know, that was really, really great. No, he's an awesome dude. He's a, he's a, uh, He's a prosecutor for a few towns uh, in, in northern New Jersey. Um, and yeah, and, I mean, even through law school, I kept in touch with him. He wrote a few recommendation letters for me. Um, just, yeah. just an all around, like, awesome, awesome guy. And also good for him to take your your grade out of the curve, because I've been <laughs> I've been in those situations where teachers did not take that the high grade off the curve. And you're like, great. We all got 40s because your ass got a 99. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like your wife. I was actually a math major and I took a lot of science classes and that would happen all of the time. And there was like that one guy who would get like a 99 and screw it up for everybody else. Yeah, I give you guys a lot of credit. I mean, me and my wife met in college as well. um, And she'd be studying and come back with the just just the the like the self-esteem issues from seeing the grades on those tests but then like she's like oh no it's fine it like translates into a B but I'm like you got a 40. (laughs) (laughs) It feel good (laughs) in the end like uh, something about that does something inside of me. You got a 40 after probably studying for a solid week like and really working hard and you're like man I suck. (laughs) Yeah Yeah, she used to wake up at like 4 a.m. I'm like what are you doing? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like one of my lab partners was actually the center of the basketball team and he was a math major as well. And I took a lot of classes with him and like, he would be studying with us at late, like during basketball season, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, that's really, de- that's a huge dedication too to like get your ego beaten down in your classes. But you know, he had basketball to keep him going. Yeah. 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 Go take out some impression on somebody on the court. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, so you, you go to law school and, you know, you, you graduate and you, you go into like, I would say like tradition on a traditional path of working for a firm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and how is that? Like, how was that experience? How long did you stay in private practice? And then what kind of made you shift um, outside to go, you know, in-house to work for um, insurance companies? So, so yeah, I, I go to Fordham. Um, I'm in, I'm in New York. It takes me about one year to realize that as soon as I graduate, I'm going back across the bridge and never coming back. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and immediately start regretting, uh, uh, I'm 
jokingly regretting the tuition money because I could have paid a lot less to go to Rutgers if I wanted to stay in Jersey. Sure. But um, but no, it was Fordham was great. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, upon graduation, I start like a fellowship, and then then I end up getting um, a, a clerkship um, in in a New Jersey court in Union County, um, and that that was great. I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot. My judge was great. Um, very demanding, um, but um, very rewarding experience. Um, and it end up in, so ends up being that just, uh, you know, as he's in chambers one day, one of his old partners comes walking in um, and they just split off from his old firm, just kind of had a split and they were starting their, their a new firm. And um, so he, he was like, hey, have you, you should consider my clerk. Um, and so I apply and I get the job um, and I end up working at firm. And it was, I mean, it was great. It was, it was everything I, I thought litigation should be. Um, you know, I, I go out to dinner with my, my colleagues from law school and they were all at the, you know, the crevasse and the bigger places of the world. And, um, you know, they, we'd be talking and they're like, oh, you know, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go prepare some uh, questions for deposition. I'm like, Oh, I'm gonna go take a deposition tomorrow. I'm like, Wait, you take deposition? I'm like, yeah, I take the deposition. They're like, seriously by yourself? I'm like, yeah, by myself. Yeah, for sure. That, that's it. something about like a working at um, I think at not such a giant firm when you right. first get out of law school is that you do you get the hands-on experience that you're not gonna get for years and years if you're at like a giant, um, you know, one of these, these big firms in the city. So yeah. uh it's a month in and you know they're like oh yeah here go take this deposition I'm like what they're like yeah go take the deposition I'm like are you coming I remember asking, <laughs> are you coming it's like no I'm not coming you're going to go take the deposition it's like okay so you know you get it you get there you're sweating bullets like, <laughs> like oh my god and you need to take off your jacket you need water um and, uh, you know, of course, on your ride home, you remember all the questions that you should have asked that were a lot better or the way you should have worded them. But, you know, you get through it. And um, the experience was just it was great. Um, and I, I, I honestly think if I had um, stayed in private practice, I probably would have stayed there forever because the, the people were great. The, yeah. the learning was was great. Um, it was, you know, one of one of the partners that I mainly work for was a. Uh, a, a West Point grad for me, Armor Jet, Army Jet. Oh, wow. He's really like just like and just one of the best supervisors um, I've ever had, um, and just really kind of took me under his wing and just 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 really showed me showed me how to be a, a better attorney and more so a better person, which is which is more than what you can ask for. When, yeah, when you have a mentor, sure. um, one of my mentors at Fordham. Um, Judge Denny Chang of the uh, of the Denny Chen of the Second Circuit, he would always say, "Your law school is fine, but the type of lawyer you're going to turn out to be is really dictated on the mentors that you get once mm -hmm. you graduate. That's going to really that's why working at the big firms is such a good thing for your career and a good thing for you as an attorney because the mentors you're getting are top notch. It's not just because of how big the firm is." It's because of the quality of the attorneys in the firm that you're going to be learning from. And I feel like I got that experience so much from um, the firm that I was lucky enough to, to begin working at that I just got such quality people and such quality mentors that, you know, I really enjoyed it. And it was really hard for me to leave. Yeah. Well, but it probably wasn't like, I mean, you're leaving, but then you're like, but I'm giving away, I, I'm giving up the billable hour, which is probably softened the the blow a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be with, uh, but, uh, or no, one of my one of my colleagues when I first uh, took the claim, I took a claims job. Um, he would joke. He said he's like he, when I first started, he was like, "Oh, you're still in the honeymoon phase." I'm like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "He's like when I first start started claims, they could have set me on fire in here, and I would have walked out with a smile saying I didn't have to go." <laughs> So I don't care. <laughs> um, so, but I love your point about mentors um, because they are so important. It seems like you had some really influential mentors in, in, you know, during your, your career, but I do think, you know, I don't totally agree with what 
you know, your one professor had said about you bet, get the like really good mentors at the big firms. Cause I think like, you know, I think there's a lot of diamonds in the rough and, you know, just because someone's at a, a large firm and they make, you know, buckets of money, you know, it doesn't mean like they're, they're the only good, like they're right. only good out there to, to help, you know, guide you in your, your career too. Cause, yeah. um, I feel like that's such like sometimes a misconception like that I think some people have like oh well you know they charge x amount of hour they must be like a better attorney right and that's just simple I think it's simply not the case and I laugh sometimes like I remember when I was in at one firm and at the time like coveting like some of my friends who work for the big firms and they're making all this money and I was like talking to someone and they're like yeah but you know when they write a motion to compel it has to get reviewed by like two other people. And I was like, are you serious? I write that in a point three. Like, <laughs> like, how does it need like two extra reviews? Like it's a motion to compel a deposition. Like you're not, it's not like, you're not doing much here. Um, so I think like, especially in the world of like fast litigation that I think we all live in, um, that you need someone who actually understands how like the process works. Yeah, for sure. How the sausage is made. Yeah. <laughs> How is it, Corey, being so going from attorney to working in claims? How does, how do you, you stop yourself from wanting to be the attorney? Because I feel like if I did that, it would be hard to take the attorney out of me to, to let my defense counsel do their job. Like, did you struggle with that at all? That's such a good question. And I think you do. Right. It's like. So one of the big adjustments, I think, from being an attorney to being a claims representative is, is the, the volume. It, it, it increases, right? So yeah. you know, as, as an attorney, you typically have something like 30 cases that you kind of have. That's kind of a typical workload. But for a typical workload for an adjuster, it's about 150. Mm-hmm. So getting caught down in the weeds like that yeah. will significantly slow you down. And it was an adjustment. I, I agree with you. It was an adjustment, um, not wanting to pick up a file and being like, hey, let's file this motion. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let it, you know, move on. And you, while you do do some of that, right, you kind of really do that in conjunction with, um, with your attorney. I, I compare it to make a sports analogy. It's like, you know, as an attorney, you're kind of on the field, you're the quarterback, you're running with the ball, you're, you're making the plays. But as an adjuster, you got to be a little bit more of the offensive coordinator. You got to keep the big picture in mind. You need to be able to kind of take the, the high view and then come down and get involved in the details as you need to, but then release yourself back up to, to staying, to sitting up in the booth and watching, watching the play and kind of, and kind of trusting you're, and 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 so that's a big thing is building that trusting relationship with the attorneys that you're working on and knowing that you have people in your corner that that are that are going to you know do the best job that they can do and for me um I'm not a I'm not a type of person who's really looking and I this the first thing I say when I call my attorneys like look I'm not looking over your back and I'm not looking to get a gotcha moment I'm, you don't, I mean, I, I encourage you to see YA as much as you want, but you don't really need to, right? because I'm going to tell you right now, if something goes wrong in one of our cases, we messed up. It's, I'm not going to go back and say, so-and-so didn't do this. They didn't do that. We're going to come to the altar together and we're going to figure out how to move forward because there's not, I just don't see sense in living my life like that where we're constantly being like, well, you didn't do this. You didn't. Well, guess what? It didn't get done. So right. what are we going to do from here to make it the best possible outcome that we can from here? Because we're all going to make mistakes. This is not a, you know, I hate that we you know, people try to put this up as, as some sort of perfectionist. Yes, we're going to do the best job we can, but there are mistakes to be made and they're going to be out there. We're going to try to minimize those as much as possible. And we're going to work. And only the way we're going to get the best outcomes is if we work as a team. Right. If we're working against each other. We're already litigating against the plaintiff. We don't need to be <laughs> litigating against each other. We're, we're not making cross claims against ourselves. That's right. That's right. We don't need, we don't need any cross claims. No cross claims. And you also just want, you want your counsel to be honest with you too, you know? So like, you don't want them like covering anything up because they're 
nervous or scared, you know, but you also like want them to be honest about that, like how they evaluate that claim and not just being like, well, Corey thinks that this it's this way. So I'm just going to agree. Like, I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, it seems to be that you probably embrace that if you have accounts and be like, well, this is what I think, you know, and this is how I'm viewing it. What about you? And then you could, you know, it doesn't mean you have to agree with your attorney. Maybe you come up with it, be like, okay, well, we both have a, an, a side to look at. Maybe is there a, a plan we can come up with that makes sense for everybody? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask, so before I forget, <laughs> is given like your, your background as a college athlete and, you know, in baseball and having it in your, in your mind and back of your mind that maybe, you know, maybe that would be a career and then it not being one, but did you want to at some time pursue something in sports with law? Was that in the, your mind as well? I mean, it was, but it, it was kind of funny. Like the more I got introduced into like kind of sports law stuff, it, it was really just contracts, like, yeah, it is. which I really wasn't like all that. That wasn't my favorite class. Like contracts yeah. was not my favorite class. Like civil procedure was my favorite class. Torts I really loved. Like I kind of took those classes and you know, like, and I, and I, I summered at a, at a firm where they did some of the NFL, um, some of the NFL work um, and the, the one of the partners that worked with, he's like, it really is just the most boring stuff. You think it'd be so fun, like, oh, NFL, da, da. like mm-hmm. it's just contracts and you're just sitting like, oh my God, you stirring cement with your, with your eyelids. Um, <laughs> it's it so funny, but one of my, uh, one of, one of my um, classmates, who's a class above me, but um, Dan Lust, he's, he's big on the sports law, um now and it all stemmed and i was joking with him when he wrote the article all stemmed from one article he wrote yeah. about uh kevin durant um and and now he's like you know he's like that he's, he's the hottest topic in sports law now so you never know how it uh how it all works out um yeah but as much as i as i wanted to to do that and thought about doing some of that it really just didn't didn't align with my interests in the law as i got there yeah. And I, I think that's a good point too. Cause we all have that, I think misconception, like, Oh, it's so like fun and exciting. And like, I think like what surrounds at least entertainment law, it, it sounds really fun and exciting, but when you boil it down to it's really like, it's, it is all contracts and it's not nearly as fun and as exciting, but it's similar in litigation though, too. People think you're like, Oh, it's just like the TV shows. I'm like, mm, it's really not like, have you been to a deposition? Like, <laughs> Like we might think some of the things are exciting, but like if you're just sitting in, it's not that exciting. <laughs> not at all. Everybody thinks like suits. You're gonna show up at somebody's door with like the smoking gun, and you're gonna be like, yeah, we found this backside evidence that shows you were doing these things on the side. You better cut us the best deal ever. Like, no, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah, there's never a smoking gun. <laughs> um, so. Right now, though, your 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 claims are mostly construction claims. Is that right? That's correct. But that wasn't always. I I, I don't remember if I'm mis remembering it incorrectly. But were you always in construction claims, or did you like pivot over to construction claims? So when I when I was practicing, it, it wasn't all construction claims. It was uh, you know I had commercial auto, had some uh, broker malpractice, so professional liability kind of stuff. Professional liability with engineers. Um, a lot of premises liability stuff. Um, and then when, when, I, when I decided that I was gonna explore um, a, a claims uh, opportunity, it was, it was in construction. So I did my best to play up my, my construction experience as much as, as, much as I could. Um, and yeah, so the, yeah, my first, my, my first claims job was a, was, a, was a construction claims job. Are you looking at defects or um sort of the earlier stages of construction projects where do most of your claims lie so um so my so most of my claims currently lie uh, construction defect um and property damage things of, of that nature but i've done both uh bodily injury um and construction claims um smaller construction claims um so it kind of just really runs the gambit you have any background at all in construction before? Because I, 
I, I, I work in constructions, uh, mainly construction defect claims right now. And I mean, I don't know that I, I had like a, a small um, pink toolbox and that was the extent of my construction experience. Um, <laughs> of course. So I, I like to, yeah, I like to always ask people, you know, did you have a construction background? Because most people don't. No, no, no. I, I love when <laughs> my... I love when the insureds call me and they go, they start explaining something really technical about, about, about construction. They're like, yeah, I'm sure you understand. And I'm like, no, actually I don't at all. I'm not going to lie to you, but this is an opportunity for me to learn. So why don't you exactly. enlighten me? Um, and that's one of the fun things I found about being an attorney too, is, is you just kind of got to, to learn a bunch of different things. You're like, Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that's how to medical I, stuff. Like yeah. medical terms, all kinds of things. You're just like, oh, okay. Because your job is kind of to get in there and see things from the client's perspective. But no, I really love when they call me up and assume like, because like, because my job title says construction claim specialist, I must understand what it's like to put on a TPO roof. Um, <laughs> you could build an entire house if you wanted yeah, to. I must be able to just kind of like get, you know, really get in there. Or, or I had insured the other day, I asked me, we need to write a letter to refute um, this expert for the for the plaintiff. Um, uh, it was pre litigation, but they submitted a, an expert report. And I was like, I was thinking to myself, no, we don't. We need to hire an attorney who's going to hire an expert who's going to write a letter to refute <laughs> that <And> expert's <laughs> opinion because I am not qualified to do such. And also, it's like, well, like I'm not going to tell you how to do your job, <laughs> so. Right let's let's not tell tell me or tell like tell us how to litigate this this claim when I'm not going to tell you how to build your house That's right. um, but I, I I I've worked on a lot of construction defect cases and I remember one of my first though it was a, a it was like a planned housing complex in Philly and it was just this person who like fell on a um like the shower chair broke while this person was on the chair and and we're thinking, okay, we're dead in the water. And I, I was a very young attorney, like maybe a year or two out. And I remember gut looking at these blueprints. I had no idea what I was looking at. And I'm looking at them with my expert and, he, and the expert's like, wait, these blueprints don't have like shower chairs in them. So, you know, like, obviously it's not, you know, we didn't install the shower chairs and it was like, ah, oh, like we want the case, <laughs> like, but I mean, me on my own though. I mean, I had no knowledge to be able to look at the blueprints, be able to understand what they were telling me. So teaming up with that expert was so, you know, important because they know clearly know what they're doing. Um, but then I also just like, from that point forward, I like, okay, well, anytime I have a case that like, I, you, you kind of know what to so different things to cue in for. Not that every case is exactly the same, but you're like, oh, well, Maybe when I look at the blueprints, I should look to see if there's shower chairs, if right. it involves a shower chair. Okay. <laughs> now yeah, I know what to look for. Little things you pick up to add <laughs> into your, your quiver of yeah. things that you're going to use to help you solve problems in the future. Yeah. Um, you get to like highly technical, especially like construction, they're highly technical claims. And listen, we're, we're attorneys. We can only know so much. We're not also, you know, I mean, some of us are maybe, um, you know, <laughs> architects, you know, you know, engineers, you can't know everything. So like, we have to talk with these experts. Do you have, Corey, do you have like an opinion on when, when you would like experts to sort of become involved in the case? Because that's something that I struggle with when I'm looking at a construction claim. It's I understand how valuable their expertise, um, you know, is going to be. Do you like to get experts in sort of on the earlier stages of a claim or will you wait until it develops further? Yeah, I, th I think it, it depends to some degree. Um, I, I would say probably as a general rule, I probably prefer to get them involved earlier um, rather than yeah. later. Um, but sometimes it really just depends on, on, on what, you're, what you're dealing with and what your insured scope of work was um, and, and where that puts you. I think as, as the general contractor, maybe you want somebody to be involved a little bit earlier, but maybe as a sub, you might want to wait and see how it plays out a little bit more before um, you get it before you get a, a an expert involved. Because um, if they're not doing a good job of pointing 
to your work, you certainly don't want to present them with any opportunities to point to your work. But as a GC, you're kind of kind of responsible for everything. So you kind of need to have a little bit more of a framework of, okay, now I need to line up my downstream subcontractors. Yeah. I need to figure out who, where, especially in the claim side, and you want to figure out where your other insurance is, right? Where am I, where am I likely to get um, additional insured coverage? Or if I don't have AI coverage in my contracts, where am I likely to get, um, you know, indemnity um, and things of that nature. So you're going to need to be a little bit more of a driving force for that. Whereas yeah. a sub, you can kind of sit back a little bit um, and see what the general contractor is going to do and see if, if anything gets brought up that really implicates your insured's work. Yeah. Yeah. So it, one thing I, I was thinking of too, like coming from, you know, an experience when, you know, you, you were a new attorney and you get thrown into a deposition, you know, a few weeks out now on the, on the sitting on the other side, you know, how do you feel about, you know, when you have your attorneys assigned to cases throw like associates handling, you know, certain depositions, like, do you sometimes have pause being, you know, Joe, I think I want you to handle this one and, and, and not Sal, you know, Sal's only been licensed for about two months now. You know, what are your thoughts on it? I'm really about the education of attorneys. And I think that if we're going to be about that, then we have to be, as an industry in general, we have to be a little bit more comfortable giving people opportunities. Otherwise, we're really cutting ourselves off and we're not developing legal talent the way that we should. And I know a lot of courts are acknowledging these things as well. I mean, I can't, can't remember right off the top of my head, but I know some of the federal courts won't even let you send attorneys with over a certain amount of experience to handle certain kinds of motions. They, yeah. they want attorneys that are younger coming into courts and, and making those arguments. And I think that, I, you know, I, I've always kind of been like that. And I, I guess that's because, like, I think about where I would have been if people would have just yeah. stunted me and not, not let me um, take control and not give me the opportunity to make mistakes and to get out there and just kind of be put in a fire. And if we're really serious about developing legal talent and we're serious about all of these initiatives that we say we're serious about, about getting uh, more women on panels for in insurance carriers, about getting more minorities on panels for insurance carriers and, and, make, and getting the firms kind of to really reflect uh, you know, our, our society and our community, then we have to be comfortable yeah. letting though letting younger attorneys take take those depositions do those motions write those motions make those arguments because that is the only way they're going to develop into the type of, of talent and the only way they're going to develop their skills in order to be able to do that so I, I think for me I'm comfortable with it if you believe in this association you think they can handle it then generally I'm comfortable with it um, I'm, and, and, and I, I'm sure that if the partner didn't believe that they were going to be, that they could handle it or that this was really like, you know, maybe if it's a construction defect claim, maybe you're not going to let them take the, the main one, or maybe, and, and generally I'm comfortable too, if you want to ask for two people to go, if you want that, you know, if you, if you want to, maybe we can build an associate at a half rate or something like that. Um, so that they can get this experience and maybe sit at the table and ask some questions with you as well. I think it's valuable learning experience. And I think it does nothing but serve our community and serve the relationship between the carrier and the firms better that though, that, that talent is getting the opportunity to, to, to develop. Yeah. And I love that. Cause that is such a good point too. Like I, I remember, you know, being a, a young associate coming, like going to all these depositions with the partner who I worked under. And it was so valuable to me that I was able to go and see how, how she handled questioning and how, how it worked before I did it on my, my own. I eventually really wanted to do it on my own, but having that experience and even like going to arguments and stuff and that, I don't remember, I don't know what the, the, how it worked out with billing the client or not, but I was just thankful that to get that learning experience. And then I, the client also knew I had been to all those things and so when it came to be my turn, they were like, oh, okay. Like, 
you know, Megan's been at some of these events. So, you know, they felt comfortable for me to go to the plaintiff's deposition and take it, take it on my own. So I think that's like such a good point. And I, I hope a lot of other people in your position share, you know, that, that feeling because like, look, like these younger attorneys are not going to be young attorneys forever. <laughs> like eventually they're going to have to, you know, the, and, and the partner who, you know, is your client, they might retire. And so they need, you know, you need people to move up the ranks and, you know, learn the trade yeah, <laughs> to keep it going. Kidding. You're not kidding. <laughs> um, so what are some of the, you know, challenges that you see in, you know, the construction space or, or issues that are popping up that um, are kind of pain points for, for you? Yeah. I mean, so construction is just kind of been exploding lately. Um, and, and and there there's no shortage of it obviously there's no you know people and I think from the pandemic you know you have a, a certain subset of people who have kind of benefited from um, the pandemic and may have more cash flow so there's a lot of um, you know people wanting to make improvements to their home homes and things of that nature uh, you know I think really I mean, it's just also fascinating and also interesting. Um, but it is, I guess it's different, it's funny for me being in, in different jurisdictions now compared to when, when I was practicing, like me, you know, it, yeah. you know, for instance, like in the South, you see a lot more projects done on a handshake. Um, there's not, <laughs> there's not always, right. always contract in, in New York. You, you won't even loan your sister money without yeah. <laughs> Like, right. like uh, once you understand that you're going to pay this back to me, you know what I mean? That That's the way things are done. So um, it, it's really just, it, it's fascinating to me being in, in different places and yeah. knowing how those different places work um, and understanding where that fits within your, within your policy, where that fits um, within your overall def- defense plan. Um, it, it's, it's really fascinating all, all, all of the moving parts. Um, I'm seeing a lot more, I think, lately of um, uh, particularly like homeowners who are, just don't want to go through their own homeowners insurance. They they really want to press. They want to press litigation them or or press it themselves or press claims themselves through uh, through contractors insurance, which sometimes can make things really difficult when you have a claimant who is um, so close. Uh, this is personal for them and this is personal to them. And we get that. Um, and it, 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 it's auto, it is almost like an auto claim to, to that aspect because everybody's very personal about their home and it's very, it's understandable. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you, something happens to your home, everybody gets, gets upset about it, but it does make things difficult um, when you're handling third-party insurance like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you have to do liability, liability investigations and, if there's subs on a project, then you have to get them involved. Um, and those homeowners don't quite understand those timelines, and, uh, yeah. and then those timelines are are unreasonable in their in their minds. Yeah. Um, and do you find like any like there's certain issues that you see pop up in different regions, like like or do you see more like certain kind of defects that tend to pop up in the south versus the northeast? Uh, that you see more of? Yeah, I feel like kind of in, in the heat, like where, where it's a little bit hotter, you get a lot of these stucco issues. Yeah. Like are oh, yeah. constant. I mean, Colorado, obviously with the soil. Um, uh, yeah, you get a lot of soil, soil movement issues um, in Colorado. So it, yeah, I mean, it, and, and I, it might be swayed for me in some ways because I, you know, my, my team currently only handles like a certain underwriting aspect of, of our book of business. So I tend to see a certain, certain types of claims or certain, yeah. certain way that the claims go. So, yeah. The stucco stuff is funny too, because I think I had one construction defect claim that it was, a, there was an issue with the stucco in the house. And when I remember when I was, we were buying our house, I was like, no stucco. <laughs> We are not, I don't care. We are not getting it. <laughs> it's all bad, even though it's not all bad, <laughs> but it was just the impression. I was like, Nope, we're just, we're not going to do that. <laughs> no, it's funny. Cause I was, I was joking with my wife the other day. 
Um, it, you know, I, I was telling her, I, I see so many like new construction claims that I don't know if I would buy new construction. I think I want a house that somebody's lived in for, for, a, for a while and has already, you know, presented all the issues that it's going to yeah. present. Um, and I, I was saying, I was like, that's probably such a misconception in my mind because I just see so many of them where there's probably the, the majority of them probably go just fine. But I see so many, I'm like, ah, I just have, I don't know if I want new construction. I think I would, I would prefer to, to have a house that's been standing for a couple of decades. But I do think, and this is just my, my impression about like new construction is I feel, I, I feel like you see a lot of litigation with it because you have, think about it. You have somebody going into a brand new home and that they probably paid a lot of money for and they expect everything to be perfect and anything that goes wrong it's i think it just hits as such a personal like but the ho- it's a new house like yeah. what you know and some things just are part of like settling and things that happen at home so but i think it's very personal to that um homeowner when there are issues in a new construction home Yes, because they, I mean, they poured their, their heart and soul into it. They probably picked out so many aspects of it. They've probably taken part in the design and layout and the things of that nature. So when they walk in, they just, you know, expect it to be like, you know, heaven. Yeah. I mean, it's not like when you buy it, like, you know, when we bought our house, it's like, okay, we have six different types of floors, you know, that's going to need to change. We, I hate all my doors, you know, <laughs> it's like, but you're like, well, I can't do it all right now. So it's just, you know, you chip away at it and you're like, it, it doesn't feel as like you spent all this time, like picking out all your fixtures and, you know, agonizing over everything. And then you come in and if something's going wrong, I think just, I feel like it hits differently. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with you there. Um, but do you find in your own home, like, are you, are you a little bit more of like an expert on things now because as like a re- relation to your job, be like, well, I, I know what's up. I know. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. But sometimes things break. I'm like, who could I, I don't even know who to call to fix that. <laughs> what, what, what even, I, I don't even know what to do. Like <laughs> I call, I call my, my grandfather, who's like 90 to <laughs> like, what do I do? Like, I just feel like people from that generation have a much better understanding of, of what to do and how to fix things. Uh, but no, I mean, the, the, I got, I had three young kids, so that uh, I refuse to fix anything in my house until they grow <laughs> yes. old enough to be able to take care of it. Uh, I say, Oh, I want new floors. I'm like, do you see these stickers over here on this floor? <laughs> stickers. Like if we get a new floor and they put stickers on the floor, I'm going to lose my mind. So leave this floor down for them to put stickers on. Then we change it later. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel you with the stickers. Like I, I remember we, well, we we've replaced it now, but we had a, co- a kitchen table and I would, if you went under the kitchen table, there would be all these stickers under the kitchen table and paint. Like, I'm like, how does the paint end up under the table? <laughs> they find a way. They find a way. Yeah, it's insanity. It like, and then when we replaced the table, I was like, okay, there, there are no stickers allowed on the table. There's no painting. Like, and again, we have the same thing with the floors. Like, we need new floors. So I'm like, if you want to do painting, you can do it in the middle of the kitchen floor, like on the floor. That's where you can paint because those floors are going to get replaced at some point. <laughs> <laughs> My kids think I'm crazy, but I'm like, nope, that, that's where it's allowed. <laughs> yeah, <damn it. laughs> um. So if you were, you know, if you were to go back now and give, you know, give your younger Corey some advice, you know, what advice would you give your younger self? I think I, I would just, just have faith. Like it, 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 it's all a part of like a plan. And you know what I mean? Like, like some, I don't know who's playing. I don't know who's planning it, but it just tends to just work itself out. Like the, the nights that I stayed up, you know, worried or, the, you know, you know, the, the, the weekends that I spent just, you know, agonizing over things and, you know, they all just worked out for the best, even things where that seemed like they were the worst possible outcomes just turned out to be, just create such atmosphere for such valuable experience 
for such uh, you know platforms for learning that even the bad things really just turned out to be you know more more learning that that, that was involved. So yeah. if I could really if I could grab him and pull him to the side and put my arm around him, just say it's it's all going to be okay. Don't worry about it. When it comes up, just smile and just keep just keep going. Just keep your head down. Keep going and just believe in the end um, that it's all going to work out because I, I, I promise you it will. And I really just take that attitude everywhere that I go now because, you know, it's a quote that um, my my high school professor, my, my high school English teacher um, made us memorize and it, it said, uh, nothing's either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Um, and, and, and that's really what it is. We get into our own minds and then, you know, this is terrible because of this, because of this, because of that. Um, but we don't know yet because we're only seeing a snapshot yeah. of where this fits into the puzzle. Um, and it may fit beautifully into the puzzle, but you got to give the puzzle time to materialize. I love that. And it's such good advice probably so hard though like I'm and I'm sure you dispel that advice onto your your kids too but it's probably just in the moment too it's so hard to like remind yourself it takes a lot of mindset work to you know get there I and I yeah for sure and I think like also as like a young attorney too you're really hot to get mad or like flustered about about things and then as you grow like you realize like there's no point to doing, to doing that. And you, you kind of adopt more of that. Like, you know, it's all going to work out. Like this thing that we think is a giant bonfire is probably just a little flame that we can, you know, work with. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, mean, I remember doing like motions and I would get like physically sick at the, at the replies. Like when it would come, like when I would get it, I'd be like, Oh God, he's gonna point out something that I just like completely missed and goofed mm-hmm. up, and I didn't check into it. And it would just be like, you know, just like reading it with your heart like pounding, like, <sighs> and it's like so it's so silly. Like, of course he's going to make counter arguments. That's his job. <laughs> like, it's your job to make. He's not on your side. Arguments. That's right. <laughs> not on your side. This is how this whole system is set up that two people go at it as hard as possible in order to find the truth somewhere in the middle. Like that's, that's what's done. Um, and it's so, I just think back on those days is like, it was so silly. And it was funny because I was having, having a talk with one of my colleagues here at work now, and, and she's kind of moving, moving up to handling bigger claims. And she was having a similar situation, but with her coverage letters, like she was getting like challenged to her coverage letters. And I was like, I was like, I see what you're doing because I've done this before. I was like, stop taking your coverage letters personally. Yeah. You, this is not your personal opinion as to whether this person is entitled to coverage. You read the contract, yep. you made a call. They are now challenging your call. And if you have to change it, so what? That's not the worst. That is not the worst thing that happens. We want, we leave that part in our letter down the bottom. If you have any challenge or any further information, <laughs> please send it to us. Why? Because we want the opportunity to look at it again. And we want the opportunity to make the right decision. If we made the wrong call in the first place and we have to change it, okay, what's the worst part? We owe some pretend or some post-tender defense fees to another attorney that we didn't hire? Big deal. At least we get the coverage. At least they had the opportunity to bring the coverage issue back to us. We now have a different decision. And we're going to move forward with the litigation. This is not speaking on you. You did not make a mistake because somebody challenged your coverage position. This is how the system is set up. I know it's it's such a good message, but still so hard to follow sometimes. I mean, it happens even like if you write a motion for summary judgment, you get the opposition. Every time I'm reading, I'm like, I'm going to lose. I'm totally going to lose. I'm totally going to lose. <laughs> You're like, oh, you know, I'm like, of course, exactly that. They're supposed to point out all these things. <laughs> That's right. Although my, one of my favorite thing though is when I get the response to summary like a summary judgment motion and then you go like really look into the cases that they've set like the other side has cited and then you find the, how it's distinguished and then you get to like 
you know, juice up your reply to their opposition. Love it. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, but it's always fun. It's like, I didn't, even as, as a young attorney, even give my, myself the chance to do that. I was so nervous about the opposition that I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I still have, I still have the opportunity to reply. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, so, and I'm, I'm curious, do you, um, and I, I know you have to probably get back to your mediation, so I, I, I want to wrap it up. But do you, since you have, you know, the background, you played college baseball, you know, is it something that you, like, do your kids play baseball? Do you coach their teams? Like, how, are you introdu- introducing that into their lives? Yeah, so um, I have I have a seven-year-old daughter and I have a four-year-old boy-girl twins. Um <laughs> and uh, so it is the twins first year playing baseball this year and I, I'm going to be their coach. So I'm super excited about it. Um, I was my oldest coach last year, but she doesn't want to play baseball this year. She, she loves soccer, which is fine. Mom was a soccer player. So okay. I get it. Um, so <laughs> I am a soccer dad. I do all I, I got my black band that I ride everybody around and <laughs> to the various events. I keep joking with my wife that I want to paint it yellow and just start picking up hot hitchhikers to kind of that would be Uber at the same time or something like that. It'd be a great, great idea. Um, But yeah, no, it's a lot of fun kind of. And and for me, like, it's not the aspect of, oh, whether they're going to go play like college baseball or college soccer or whatever. It's really just like sports just taught me so many life lessons um, for me. And, and, you know, I I grew up in a small town, but it it was kind of like, there was a lot of poverty around and there wasn't a lot of, um, a lot of opportunities. And, you know, people told me over and over again that I, that I wasn't going to make it out of there. That I wasn't going to do anything with my life. Um, But that sports aspect is really what gave me that, that chip on my shoulder to just kind of be able to, to push through things and, and to, to always know that you're going to continue to work on things and you're going to, and, and, and making mistakes is part of it, especially baseball. I love baseball so much because it's all based off like failing, like you bat 300 <laughs> and you don't get a hit seven out of 10 times. You go to the plate. You're, you're a failure in any other aspect, except for this one, like you're a hall of famer. If you, if you fail that, that, that least amount of time, yeah. so it, and, you know, and you really just learn how to deal with failure and, and kind of how to push yourself and, 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 and stay within yourself and, and always, and, and just stay positive. And I'm hoping they learn a lot of those leadership lessons that, that I learned as well. So that whatever it is that they choose to do, they, they have those lessons to kind of lean back on. So I'm really looking forward to this, to this part of of their lives and of, of yeah. you know, looking forward to being involved um and and having a lot of fun and that was part of part of the reasoning behind the move um to claims just to have that that little bit more flexibility yeah. to really do things like that and i do like i know a lot of people say like oh you shouldn't like you don't want to relive your your lost youth on your your kids and i don't see it that way when you're you know, watching kids play sports and like, it's just like, you feel such a sense of pr- proudness when you see them like, oh, like work so hard at something and then like accomplish the next task or the next thing and just get a little bit better. And then you also feel for them when you see that the, like they're struggling, but then the, when they push through and they keep like, they don't quit and they keep working, it just makes you feel like, oh, like, <laughs> like you were just so proud. I don't know. Yeah. And, you're like, like you get those moments where you're like yeah you're like you know what they're, they're gonna be all right they're gonna be yeah. that's, like, that's like and I have to I think I have to tell myself more that in in the parenting aspect than I do in the professional aspect that like you know it it's going to be okay like I have to you have to separate that because like yeah we're battling over brushing teeth right now but it's going to be okay like they're going to get it eventually like yeah. they're going to understand it um as much as I don't but but you're right it is such a like it I, yeah I don't think people get it until you have children that it, I mean I'd like to know the science behind it, but the dopamine hits when, <laughs> when they have that that moment where they just kind of like push through something that you knew they've been struggling with yeah. It's just like, it feels like it, there's, there's nothing like that feeling. Um, and, and you just get this, this kind of like 
cosmic sense like that it's it's all going to be okay and and you just you can't hold back the, the yeah. proud dad or the proud mom that's inside yeah. you seeing that go on and also it's just a good outlet to like yeah, just yesterday my my daughter was upset about something and she had a lacrosse game and she was like i'm gonna take all my anger out in the field i was like yes do that. <laughs> that's a health just don't hurt anybody but yes that's a healthy <laughs> way to process your emotions that's <laughs> and it's good that you've recognized it it's just you know just don't push anybody <laughs> right. lacrosse girls lacrosse is not a contact sport <laughs> That's so funny. When my daughter started playing she started playing soccer you know when they when they first start playing soccer they all get in this big like pile right and it just, all just stays in there she's just kind of like standing on the outside of the pile like really confused like kind of finger in the mouth and like so she comes back over and they had like water break and I got the water and so they I was like oh I didn't tell you the object of the game is push everybody over and get the ball um so she goes back out there, literally runs into the pile, pushes everyone out the way and runs towards her own goal and thankfully misses her own goal. But it was it was it was so hilarious uh, of, of a moment. My wife's like nudging me like, why did you tell her that? I'm like, what? <laughs> Like, we'll, work, we'll work on scaling back, scaling that back as she gets older. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take one lesson at a time. <laughs> you can't hold that many things. Just, just tell her to get the ball. <laughs> well, Corey, thank you so much for for joining us today. I, I truly appreciated our, our conversation, and um, and I, I think all our our listeners will too. So, like, thanks so much for for joining us and sharing with us today. No, thank you guys for having me. I love the podcast. I've become a big fan. So uh, keep doing what you guys are doing. And uh, I I can't wait to keep listening. Thank you. And for for our listeners out there, um, if you like what you hear, please like and subscribe to the Defense of Arrest on Apple Podcasts. And you can also find us on YouTube at uh, TDNR Podcast. Mm